Hello, this is Robert Barge. Welcome to Redemption's Table, where every week we will gather around this table with a special guest to explore the most appetizing ingredient in this menu called life, redemption. I believe in redemption. I believe everybody hungers for redemption, everybody. And the truth is, redemption is all around us every day. It is a recipe that God the Creator sets before us every single moment of our lives. Unfortunately, so much emphasis is placed upon the bad, many have difficulty seeing, experiencing, and tasting the good. So I'm setting out on a journey, going table to conversation, to accentuate the reality of redemption in the lives of everyday people like you and me. A reality that, I believe, finds its ultimate expression in Jesus of Nazareth, who is the not-so-secret ingredient to the redemption we all seek. So, come hungry, join the meal, because Party of Redemption, your table is now ready. Hey everybody, welcome to the table once again. I have just returned from the Lone Star State of Texas. I was out there for a visit with my daughter, her husband. They are a few weeks away from the arrival of their first child, my second grandchild. And as I was in Texas and visiting family, I also had an opportunity here and there to sit down to a table with someone to share a Redemption's Table conversation. And I'm super excited about this this week's conversation. You can't sit down with today's podcast guest without getting totally blown away by her passion for the children and the people of the country of Haiti. When Christy Gunther first stepped on a plane bound for Haiti with her husband back in 2010, it was with great reluctance. But 24 hours later, she would be changed forever. Now today, she oversees the Children of the Lord Orphanage. Christy and I sat down to some wonderful salads at Palmer's Restaurant there in San Marcos, Texas. Highly recommend Palmer's. I've eaten there several times. We sat down with our good friend Stephanie Cherry there at that table. And during our after-dinner conversation, I just felt prodded to keep recircling to the same theme, to the same question over and over again. How do we go from, I don't want to do this, Lord, to, I'm all in, Jesus, wherever you lead. And Christy did exactly that, had that experience. And I believe that if you listen into this conversation today, this table could change somebody's life. It might even be yours. So pull you up a chair. We're sitting out in the courtyard. Order up a salad, and uh, let's get going, shall we? Thanks for being here. Well, welcome to Redemption's Table. And those of you who are tuned into the podcast, uh, we are sitting at a table in San Marcos, Texas. We just have had dinner at Palmer's Restaurant, and I am sitting here tonight with Christy Gunther. Christy, welcome to Redemption's Table. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm glad you're here. We have a mutual friend, and she's also sitting at the table. Yeah, Stephanie Cherry. Uh, I've been dear friends with Denby and Stephanie for a long, long time. But uh, first, before we begin talking, we just had a wonderful meal at a really good place. What did you have tonight? What did you order? The chicken salad. It was so amazing. It was one of my favorite dishes here. What's your favorite part or ingredient in the salad? The chicken salad is really good, and they put it on a bed of lettuce and then drizzle with vinaigrette. It's very delicious. Sometimes it has fruit. <laughs> yes, but not tonight. Not tonight. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> and I had the uh, Gulf shrimp salad. It looks was, delicious. I think I'm going to get that next time. It, it, was, it was. It was. I've it was never phenomenal. had that before. And I asked them to add 
uh, avocado. Mm -hmm. It was really good salad. So if you're in the San Marcos, Texas area, good place to eat. It's one of my. It's one of our favorites. It's yeah. definitely one of our go-to places for date night or events, parties. We come here a lot. Yeah. I've been here before, but it's been a long time since I've had a meal here. So. It's delicious. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, thank you for uh, agreeing to sit down with me. Thank I understand. Um, tell me a little bit. You are a leader. Uh, you head up an orphanage in Haiti. Mm -hmm. You live in Texas. Mm -hmm. The orphanage is in Haiti. That's right. Let's talk a little bit about the first time. When's the first time you went to Haiti? <laughs> All right. So my first trip to Haiti was back in 2010. Okay. Um, it was something I never even dreamed that I would do. Um, I always was very scared to travel, scared to go on the airplane. I can even remember before I went on the trip being scared to death thinking, um, oh, I shouldn't leave my kids. I shouldn't go. I'm too scared. Um, but I thought, you know what? I just, my husband and I prayed and we really felt like this is what we're supposed to do. So we took a team of about 20 people mm -hmm. um, in 2010. It was right after the um, earthquake in Haiti. The well, was that earthquake. the reason to go? Or no. Or you already had We'd the already trip had the, We already had the trip scheduled. Okay. trip was already planned, ready to go. Then the earthquake happened. Um, and we were like, trip is still on, you know, we're, we're still going to go. And um, it changed our focus a little bit because we wanted to do more of aid, um, what we could do to help, you know, help aid the, the orphanage or anyone in Haiti. Um, but then we went on our first trip um, and we got there. We were there 14 days. Um, and I, if my kids had been with us, we would have not come home. Sure. We loved it so much. Uh, my husband and I both, we just fell in love with the people, the place. Um, it was, it's only can be explained by God because it's like we got there I mean and it's hot <laughs> it doesn't smell like it does here in America uh, there's no you know beautiful fragrances it's just hot it's hard and it's hot but I loved every minute of that place um, and at that moment I knew and so did my husband that this was going to change our life forever um, that these were our people so we were called to um, I this was it like this was our call from the Lord to pour into this country and these people and this orphanage. So you went from reluctance to Oh, I was uh, scared to death. I didn't want to get in. on the plane. Yeah. I was scared to death to even get on the airplane. I was thinking my I would go for a couple days and fly home, let my husband do the whole 14 days. Um, no, I was scared to death. But I was like, I can do this. I can do this. With God, all things are possible. And, oh, no, I got there, and it was like, man, I just dove in. It was, it was awesome. Okay. Loved it. So I was curious, how long did it take from going to great reluctance to I'm all in? This is this is about oh, to like, change your life. Not a day. Wow. <laughs> like a, after a day, I'm like, this is these are my people. Wow. I loved it. How many times have you been since? Oh, I I, ooh, I couldn't even count. <laughs> wow. um, I, I mean, I probably travel there at least five times a year, maybe maybe six. Just kind of depends on the year and what's going on. Okay. But I travel a lot. Go back and forth. So 2010, that's nine years now. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you are head, head of an orphanage. So That I, didn't happen overnight. <laughs> uh, what, what were the steps? How did God bring that about? Um, well, like I said, it, just, it was an instant connection um, with the people and the country, and it just kind of just kind of happens I mean just um, so I am you're not obviously you're not hung up on the plaque of the plaque of your door and plaque of your no door. that's why I don't even know what title is that's why I don't that's even, I don't even care that's cool I don't even care yeah. so basically then I um, I run the nonprofit um, that that supports and sustains the orphanage because okay. um, the orphanage is is run and sustained by it's sustained by a nonprofit but it's Haitian run and Haitian led okay. um, we just support them okay so was that 
orphanage already in place or did it? Oh, yeah, the orphanage, the orphanage was founded back in about 2000, in the year 2000. Okay. And so when we got involved in 2010, it was already running with, the orphanage was running by this same nonprofit that, that um, I work for. Okay. How many, how many children? We have 60 there? kids in the orphanage. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you're not only uh, running an orphanage in Haiti, you're also doing, you're, you're also working, helping some of these children to become adopted. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So in the orphanage, we have a couple of things. We have, it's, we're an adoption orphanage. So I also help, um, help facilitate some of the adoptions, working with agencies or the adoptive parents um, or the kids getting things ready. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a school. So um, I help um, oversee the school inside the orphanage. Um, where we tried going to school outside the orphanage. Um, it just wasn't working well for us, so then we brought school inside the orphanage. School's not free in Haiti. Okay. School's very, it's very expensive to send a kid to Haiti, so education is very, very important. Um, so I'm so proud of the school that we have inside the orphanage and where we've come with that and the teachers and just, just to see the kids actually reading now and, and learning and growing um, has, has been really neat. And then we also have a bakery um, on the grounds of the orphanage and that's been really fun to um, figure out how to start a bakery and and run a bakery and and it's incredible my favorite thing about the bakery is that about 30 women come to the bakery and will buy bread to feed their families wow. to sustain them so their so their kids don't have to be in an orphanage that they can provide and you know take care of their family and then we have a church I'm so excited about our church that's um, only been around a few years we have a church that's on the orphanage as well and I love this church it's I love um, because we have street kids that come we have another orphanage that comes to, to the church and he just really focuses on the people in the area um, just to really get them to to understand Christ and grow in, in their relationship with Christ I love love being part of the church there and going to church on Sundays Wow! wow. so in Haiti now, not and, I, and I do a women's conference. That's my other favorite thing. Okay. That's that's one of my favorite things. Um, every year in December, um, we travel to this place called Titaye, which is um, it's a good 30, 45 minute drive from Port-au-Prince. Um, and we do a women's conference um, for about 50 Haitian women from all over the area okay. that come. And so for two days, we just love on them. We do crafts, um, lots of crafts. That's their favorite crafts and team building games or art stuff for them and so for two days we just love on them and my favorite way to explain the women's conference is one time a group of women were doing some crafts and our translator was talking to them and and they they he said so what do you like why do you like coming to women's conference and they said well because for two days we we don't feel like dogs like we're treated like we're like women with respect and it's we're treated with Dignity and it's about us. We feel safe. We feel secure. We get food. Um, they said that's the two most looked for days of their whole year are those two days. So I've been to Haiti twice, and the group that I go with, I've gone to. You're out of uh, Port Port-au-Prince. Out of Port-au-Prince. I'm, I've been to Port-au-Prince. Uh, had pastors conferences and also ladies conferences mm-hmm. and I've heard the ladies who teach the ladies conferences talk about how uh, in that culture uh, the, how the women are, are looked down upon and uh, just some of their challenges and their struggles so mm-hmm. yeah. it's awesome that you're you are being Christ in such 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 a way and it's so powerful compared to how life normally is that they look forward to this for months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorite 
things of the whole entire year those two days wow. yeah i love it it's so so rewarding and just to see them so happy it's it's amazing yeah. which came first because you run an orphanage but you also have uh, an adopted child <laughs> yes we do so on that first trip yeah that we went in 2010 um i just was looking around at these kids and i thought these are the sweetest kids they're amazing and found out it was an, an orphanage that does adoptions had never even dreamed of adoption had never even talked about adoption was not even something we even thought about um and during that trip this one little boy did catch our eye and i was like he is so cute and so sweet he was six and a half um and then funny story but i asked the orphanage director i said oh is he matched and he goes yes with you and I went, oh, no, 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 we're no, we're just here to help you. We're here to, we're called to serve you. Our job is to serve with you. And he was like, I think you should pray about this. And I'm like, I don't think I should pray about this. <laughs> no, sir. So I came home and my husband and I could not stop thinking about it. And we prayed about it, prayed about it. And, you know, we wondered things like, would he even want to be adopted? Does, mm -hmm. does he even like us? Is it something we even, could we even afford this? How, what do you do? I mean. Um, so we we decided we prayed and prayed and we decided this is what God's called us to do. We flew back to Haiti a few months later and we asked him. We said, How old was he? He's six and a half. He was six and a half at the time. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. So we asked him. We're like, Hey, Wilson, are you? Is this something that you would be interested in us adopting you? And he's like, Yes. We're like, All right, we're all in, buddy. And so it was the fight, a fight of our lives. I mean, it's, it took us about at least three and a half years. Wow. About three and a half years. Um, wow. to do the process and then he came home three and a half years later wow. so he's 15 now um, doing amazing fantastic and it, I can't even imagine our life without him like he's and we take him back to Haiti with us um, I think it's very important for him to understand who his birth mom mm -hmm. he has he does have a birth mom um, who is who his family is um, and the country that he's from um, and I want him to grow up knowing knowing who he is I mean he it's very important for him to to know that his roots and his family and so um, he's been back with me we've been to Haiti twice together this year Wilson and I have been okay. we went once as a whole family and then I took him by himself um, once and we went and saw his birth family his um, siblings and mom and some family where he lives that is where he's from somebody going through the adoption process I've heard so many accounts of individuals how long it takes yeah. and uh, what in word of encouragement would you offer to somebody who perhaps was interested in uh, adopting a child through your organization mm -hmm. uh, yes yeah, so I always tell people that um, Adoption is probably the hardest thing you'll ever do in your entire life, but it's also the most rewarding. And so you you have to remember that you are fighting for that child and their life. And it is a hard fight, but in the end, it's it's amazing. It's it's worth it's 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 not an easy journey. Even when you get a kid home at the beginning, it's not an easy journey. The transitions, the adjusting, the new you know the new family that you're creating, it's it's hard. But now we're we're over five years into it and. I can't even, I mean, can't even imagine life, you know, without him. Yeah. Did his enthusiasm ever waver during that three and a half year time? I mean, you started engaging at six and a half, so he would have had to be 10, 10 years of old, 10 years oh. of age. Did he ever give up? Did he ever think it's not going to happen? No, he, he really didn't give up. I mean, because he, he, we've, he's seen this process many times. He saw kids come, and, and he knows the process takes long. Mm -hmm. Now, did we get discouraged? Absolutely. Did mm -hmm. we cry? Oh, yes. 
did did he cry many many times um, but never really discouraged but we never gave up we never ever lost hope because we knew it was happen we knew it would happen we just didn't know when how many other children have you helped find families uh, help connect oh I don't I couldn't even count I don't know a lot a lot a yeah lot. a lot really? wow. mm -hmm. a lot wow yeah a lot I, I uh, as Stephanie was telling me about you uh, one of the things that uh, she said she said you know I, I don't know if these were her words or your words as we, we talk you're crazy in Haiti <laughs> yes uh, I'm crazy that's gonna be the title of this podcast you're crazy in Haiti uh, <laughs> yes I am and you were telling me a, an account of something that happened where you ran into some very uh, powerful people at least in their minds <laughs> yeah. uh, until you got hold of them uh -huh. share a little bit about that if, if you if you would yes it was it was last year last summer when I was in Haiti it was just at myself and my two girls there um, and there was this man who came who wanted to put like he wanted to shut the bakery down okay. so he came he walked in the orphanage and put this piece of paper on the bakery to shut the orphanage down so I was standing in the toddler room which is the edge of the orphanage and I looked down and I see all this commotion happening outside and all these people and I was like what is going on so I ran out ran out there and they told me what was going on and I was like, oh, oh, uh-uh, no, no. So that mama bear instinct kicked in and it just came out. You know, once, once you get mama started, you can't stop mama bears. <laughs> and so that mama bear came out and I started yelling at them in Creole and in English. And I was like, get out of my orphanage, get out. And I am, I am in the back of the crowd yelling, telling them to get out, get out. And this one guy came up to me and he goes, do you know who you're talking to? And I said, I don't care who you are or who he is or who I am talking to. Get out of my orphanage now. And he goes, he's the big baddest gangster. And I said, I don't care if he's a gangster or not. Get out of my orphanage. I don't care who. And he's like, you know what I have under here. I said, I don't care what you have under there. Get out of my orphanage. And so I started yelling at them. And, and I think it was freaked him out that I was doing something in Creole too. And I was like, get out now, now. And I was just yelling at him in Creole. And they listened to me. They all left. <laughs> they left. And then they came back to me. One of the ladies that was there help, helping me yell, she came back. She said, do you know who he is? And I said, no, I don't have a clue. She said, he is a very, very, very big, bad, bad gangster. And I went, so that probably wasn't a good idea. She goes, yeah, no, not a good idea. <laughs> I said, well, I don't care. Don't mess with my kids. If you mess with my kids, you're going to get it. So then I really did have to lay low for a couple of days. I couldn't walk on the streets. I couldn't do anything for a couple of days. I kind of had to go into hiding for a little while uh, for a couple just a couple of days just to kind of lay low but don't mess with our kids yeah that was we didn't want them to mess with our kids that reminds me uh bob goff's second book uh, everybody always and he talks he wraps up the toward the end of that book talking about confrontations with witch doctors yes and, and, We've heard, and, and yes. That, that's along the same line you know mm -hmm. it's like uh uh Greater is he who is in you That's right. than the evil one in the world. That's right. Instead of being intimidated, yeah, you became the intimidator. Oh, I would. Well, that's. I mean, when you fight for these kids, that's part of your fighting. You have to protect them, and so I was just had to do something to fight for the kids. That's all I could do was just yell at them to tell them to get out, to leave us alone. Yeah. I wonder how many people there are in this world who have never had anyone fight for them. That's actually, I'm glad you said that. Thank you for saying that. Because that's actually what I feel like is my calling for for me personally, not only for the kids in our orphanage, but for the country of Haiti. Mm -hmm. Is That's what I really feel like. I feel like 
who fights for those kids? Mm -hmm. Who fights for that country? Who fights for, for I mean, all of them. Not, it's not just the kids in the orphanage, it's all the Haitians. It's the sweet ladies at the conference. It's the sweet friends that we meet on the street, the little boys on the street that run up to me and say, do, did you have a ball? Do you have a ball? Let me, yes, let me find you a ball where you can play with. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I feel personally is my calling and then all of our friends that come along and fight with us it's just who they, they're not forgotten we don't need to forget about them like god loves them let me tell you a story this this was on that first trip in 2010 um or maybe that trip maybe it was another trip one of my first trips i don't remember which one it was the orphanage director said he said oh the lord just told me that i need to take some food to this orphanage he said it's in a very dangerous area um he said but i'm gonna take some of our food and go over there and i said I said, we don't, we don't have any extra food. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, no. And he was like, no, I really feel like God's calling me to do this. So th I'm like, great. I mean, okay, okay. You know, just trust him, you know, because in, in Haiti, they're so sweet because if, if they have more than they need, they give it away a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what he wanted to do. And I was like, okay. So we drive over to this orphanage and on the way we get close to this area um, and they had ski mask, the police had ski masks on because mm -hmm. it was so dangerous. Um, and there are guns everywhere, police everywhere. So we pull into this orphanage and it just really broke my heart um, because they had, no I mean, I thought our orphanage had nothing. These people, which they do, but compared, they had nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, they really, did. they had nothing. My heart was broken. Um, and so we unloaded all the food and we were hanging out and, uh, you know, just with the kids and playing with them. We got in this big circle um, and we, they were singing and they were talking and it was just so beautiful. And the that orphan structure gets up and she starts telling this and she said these words that this is is changed my life she said thank you for coming she said i prayed and i asked god for food and she said she said god told me i will not forget you mm. and then we show up with the food mm. and so that story is really changed my life because i was like I'm not going to forget you. Mm -hmm. And God God doesn't forget this little bitty orphanage out in the middle of Port-au-Prince, Haiti, in the very bad part of town. He cares so much about them that he sent this group from another part, from Texas, all the way to Haiti, to buy extra food, drop it off at this orphanage. And God doesn't forget about us. Yeah. The great link that he goes for us is, it's amazing. Yeah. He cares about us. A lot of people don't realize I don't think how close Haiti is to our country I mean you're talking from Miami to Haiti oh, yeah. what an hour and a half at the most mm -hmm. yeah and uh, just such tremendous need there's third world countries all over the world mm -hmm. but one of the worst as far as what they have yeah. the challenges they face is right mm -hmm. there in Haiti and I've seen that one for myself yeah. and uh, yeah it's it's been ranked many times as the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere yeah. And would almost be may not may not necessarily be the closest we could help, but it it's pretty close. I mean, yeah. it's, um, where do you see what you do in Haiti? Where do you see it going in ten years? And I know God is sovereign, and God, you know, we just take the steps. Like you just took the step to get on the plane, <laughs> yeah. didn't you know, scared to fly, mm -hmm. and then lo and behold, boom! Look what God does. Mm -hmm. But uh, has He given you a vision for what's mm -hmm. coming uh, in the next ten years? Yeah, so I, I get dreams and visions a lot of, of our future, and um, I dream of of the people in our, our area, of the area that we help and stuff. Um, I dream of helping them find jobs, creating jobs for them. Um, creating um, something sustainable for them to make a living. Um, I dream about educating all of them in the area so they can they can they can get jobs too. I mean, 
trade jobs and education. Um, I dream about expanding and, and, and moving to all just all over the area. Um, I dream about expanding the women's conference, you know, so it's not just 50 women, but, but more. Um, I dream of the school being way bigger than it is now because I would love our nanny's kids to be able to go to school there um, for free because they, they can't afford education for their kids. I dream about the neighborhood kids going to school, the, the um, kids from the church going to school, um, just, just expanding God's kingdom through the Haitian people. Um, one vision that I've also had many times is um, many, many times, is that our orphanage will be a hub of ministries around the world. So, like, organizations will come to our Port-au-Prince, because where we are, it's just such a loving community. It's just so precious and safe in that sense, the sense of they're just so loving. Where ministries, will people will come and they'll practice, like, marriage retreats. They'll get that knowledge. They'll get that safe understanding. Then they can take that to other countries. Um kind of like a training ground okay. like a battleground training ground wow. for people to go out to different places of the world and then take the Haitians with them wow. so they can go and, and do marriage conference in you know other countries um, in, you know around the world wow I have a huge vision and I know that's going to happen one day I yeah. know it that has God written all over it that has his I, fingerprints all over it because it, that is innovative I'm, you know that's at least beyond my little mind you know I, that that sounds like an outstanding vision. Oh, it's I, I feel it. I know it's going to happen. Had you gone to Haiti and you went and you was like, Oh, I love these people and that week or that time you spent there, you got on the plane, came back, you know, both of you and your husband, uh, his name's Brian. Brian. But, mm-hmm. You know, feeling led to do something, but had you just if you dismissed it put it on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Uh, God's still nudging you. How do you, how, do you ever stop and think, what if we had done that? Uh, you know, when, when did God's nudge, what was the tipping point? It's just like, uh, if, I, if I don't do this, I'm going to be disobedient. Mm-hmm. This is a, would be a huge step of disobedience. Uh, like before our first trip or after our first trip? You even you know, before or after, when you realized, you know, this, this this is why I'm put upon this pl- planet. A minute ago we were talking about, you, you said, I forgot exactly, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I just said, I, I quoted Eric Liddell. Yes. You know, when I, he said, he was an Olympic runner, he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Yes. And you, talk, you were talking about Haiti with that kind of passion. Yes. Uh, when did it become your heart? Uh, and you know, what if you didn't follow your heart? And I'm talking about follow God's mm-hmm. heart. Forget following our own heart, because sure. we can all go astray with that. But you know, when did God? I mean, you hear what I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, I do. I mean, yeah. So, so definitely. Answer, so, yeah. so before I got on the plane the first time, you know, I was scared. I was nervous. Um, I had ne- I had to go get a passport <laughs> to to go. I mean, I never really traveled. So I would say definitely then it was not a passion. Mm-hmm. It definitely was just a, oh, I want to. I mean. I had a passion for helping people. I love helping people. I love being in, in people's lives. I love um, ministry. So mm-hmm. I was definitely excited about going and, and being on a, a, an international mission trip and serving. So I was excited, but it wasn't until I was in that country um, for a few days and I was like, oh, if I don't, if I don't continue this, this, is, this will be a complete disobedience. Like, yeah. this is what we're called to. This is what we are, I mean, this is our passion. This, this is it. And, and everyone's called to different things. Um, you know, some people are called to take mission trips, you know, or, 
you know, different parts of the world doing mm-hmm. different things. But for us, for our calling, for our family, our whole entire family goes to Haiti. Our whole entire family is involved. Um, this is what God's called us to, is to pour our lives into this country, into these people, um, into this group um, in Haiti for us. This is what we as a family are called to do. The same people, the same organization, the same orphanage, the same kids, which now that I've been going for so long, it's been so neat to hold babies. They were babies, and now I know them, you know, as, yeah. as big kids, yeah. you know. So it's been so neat to watch them, you know, grow up, some of the kids grow up, or watch the nannies as we all get older together, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So it's been, it's been such a life-changing, it's, it's really our passion. I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, I would say if anyone spends five minutes talking to me, Haiti is going to come up in a conversation because I pretty much eat, breathe, drink, sleep, dream about how I can help them all the time. So it's just a burning passion. You can see it. I love it. I just love it so much. Maybe the glow will (laughs) will come through the earbuds or the radio as you're listening to this podcast. Um, I just finished reading Erwin McManus's book, Seizing Your Divine Moment, and I, I've known of him for a long time. I just read his the first book of his, the first book that I'd ever read of his back about three or four months ago, and I've read three of his books back to back to back. But in the book, Seizing Your Divine Moment, he, he paints a picture, uh, and it, I think it's just true overall of, of individuals. He says people either, as they take a stand, they either have their weight shifted on the, the hit their heels, or they have the weight shifted to the balls of their feet. Mm-hmm. And those who whose weight is on the on their heels, they're resistant to mm-hmm. anything. I personally believe every follower of Jesus Christ is called to do the things that you and your husband are doing. So many miss that because they're they're dug in. That they've got their heels down. And how, how how would you encourage someone to go from you know that I'm I'm don't want to do this I'm resistant to this this is you know I've got what I'm doing is perfectly fine I'm happy to just go to church once a week how do you how do you encourage someone from going from the balls uh, from the heels to, to get to the balls of their feet where they're just waiting on God to say go mm-hmm. and, and they'll go what, what encouragement would you give some because you did you expressed there was some reluctance there was fear wow yeah what would you tell someone well you know I can remember um, when I was eight years old mm-hmm. <laughs> I went to a girls in action which is it through the Baptist Church mm-hmm. um, it was a, like a girls in action camp where mm-hmm. they have bring in missionaries from all over the world and they talk and I was really really heavily involved in in girls in action through my church um, growing up and I loved it loved the people loved the women and loved the camp and during camp one night they put a call out for people that were called to missions or ministry and I can remember being I remember this very clearly I was I was just started bawling um, and my leader said well maybe God's calling you to missions maybe you should go forward and I said oh oh nope mm-mm, not me I am not called to missions I am never leaving Texas I am never getting on an airplane absolutely not no way Jose am I going anywhere and I did that I had my feet dug in the ground refusing refusing to to listen to that call and I felt that call several times in my life even again in high school um, even in early college I, I felt that and I was like nope not gonna happen sorry Jesus call somebody else but not me um, and then something happened and um, you know our dear friends were adopting from Haiti and kept encouraging us to go um, meet meet their son and check out Haiti and I was like well, I don't know I don't I don't know and then something just happened I Haiti kept coming up coming up and I told my husband he's like well then let's go 
and I almost didn't get on the plane. I mean, I really didn't. I almost didn't get on the plane, and I tried to change my plane ticket, and all you know, I was just so scared. Um, but it was just that moment. It's like that few seconds of moment that I actually got on the airplane, mm-hmm. and then the moment I we landed, it was all the fear was gone. Wow. So it's just getting over that initial hump of fear. You know, mm-hmm. that initial. Oh man! And now, if I didn't go, I wouldn't be obedient. Yeah. I, I don't have a choice. That's kind of how I feel. I feel like if I don't go to Haiti and if I don't pour into these people, if I don't do what God's called me to do, I don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I can't even think about not doing that. Like it's never. It's not even a thought in my mind. It's, it's okay. When, when's my next trip? When am I going? What's next? What's my next fundraiser? What are we doing next? Wow. So I say, get over the fear. That's you have to. How does someone find your organization? What is the name of the orphanage, and how do they find it to uh, to go with you or to uh, offer support? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the orphanage name is called Maison des Enfants de Dieu. Say um, that again. Maison des Enfants de Dieu, which right. is House of God's Children in, okay. in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Um, right now, we have about sixty children. Sixty. Um, sixty. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've had we've had up to one hundred and twenty before. Wow. Um, so right now we're sixty. It's a good number. Mm-hmm. Sixty is a good number where we can really give some good individual care to the kids and make sure they're you know cared for and loved on. Um, and the organization is called um, Alexis Foundation, um, and that is the nonprofit that. Um, we let, we allow the orphanage to be the ha- orphanage is Haitian run mm-hmm. um, by um, a group of bro- two brothers um, Pierre Alexis and Frankis Alexis. Um, so they run it, um, and so we're there to support them. We offer them support. Um, we offer them encouragement, um, advice when needed. Um, so we work we work hand in hand um, with with. Frankis and Pierre Alexis, and so the Alexis Foundation um, is the one who financially supports the orphanage. Um, there's other organizations that come along as well that help the orphanage financially. Okay. Um, and so I can give you the website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give, we'll have the link. Yeah, and it'll be there um, for wherever people are listening to the podcast. That would be great. So, yeah, yeah. Um, every kid in that orphanage is is just so special. They have incredible stories. Um, you know, want to just one story real quick there's a sweet little boy and um his name is wilson he has um his arms and legs you know he doesn't work and he's so precious um but wilson was found in the trash can right outside the orphanage there's a trash ravine right outside the orphanage Mm -hmm. um and he was found there um and so every kid has a story um in, in our orphanage and and wilson deserves a chance he deserves life um, he deserves hope, just like everybody else does, and so that's what we want to provide for these kids: just hope, education, love, Christ. Yeah. Pre- you know, teaching them about Christ. So. Wilson's the name of your son. Wilson's the name of my son. Yes, so I love that name. Yeah. Because they both have, they both are Wilson. We could talk all day. I have got tons of stories. All right, go for it. Okay. So we were. This is one more story for. Okay, right, <laughs> I have a bunch of stories. Um, so I'll. One day, this was very special to me that um, I'll never forget. We were really struggling financially for the nonprofit sending funds to the orphanage. Um, it was just a really, really hard time. So we were kind of at the point where we couldn't you know, help any kids or take any kids in. Um, and so it was, it was just a really, really hard time. So this lady showed up to the orphanage to, she didn't want her kid. And she, I mean, it's, it's a reality that she just flat out did not want her kid. Um, and so the orphanage director said, no, 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 we, we can't take your kid. We know we don't take kids, you know, out of, out of, you know, just poverty. Like, we, how can we help you? What can we, how can we pray for you? Um, the answer is no. And, and then she was like, no, I don't, I don't want my kid. Like, 
I'm just gonna leave my kid. Mm. Um, and so they, they ran and got me and um, the lady who does our intakes and she said, um, please, please, I, I really think you need to come intervene in, in this situation. Um, and I said, okay, so I ran out there to the porch and um, so this she was telling me really fast in Creole and I was like okay hold on hold on let me let me get a translator just so I don't miss anything I want to make sure this is okay and so she begins telling me the story about the, her daughter um, and her she was pregnant with her daughter and she lives s- several hours away from Port-au-Prince and she said a voodoo frog jumped into the window and jumped on her stomach and the frog put a curse on her stomach and so there and then right after that she went into labor and the child came out with some with a part of her leg missing some binding on her fingers and she said um like oh my goodness so she went to this clinic and then some things happened at the clinic that were um um, unethical Mm -hmm. and so this which caused this lady to go into extreme fear this mom going to extreme fear and so she fled that area and um and she would leave at night you know along the way because she was so scared and she made her way to our orphanage because she knew that it was safe she knew pastor pierre was safe and so that's so that's when she was she showed up um and um and it was it was just an unbelievable uh, you know few hours on the porch just trying to figure out what was going on and she she really just did not want this baby fully believed that it was cursed um and so and she had nothing this mom had had nothing and so um, I said, okay, I just, I, I, in my heart, it's like, I knew that the Lord at the moment was like, okay, we can figure this out. It's okay. We'll figure it. You know, it's, we got this. So the mom left and left the baby. The baby was so malnourished. She was um, a, about a year old and only weighed nine, nine pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, her hair was, was so brittle, was falling out. And her, her skin just, I mean, she was, it was just so, uh, just, I, I can't even describe the way her skin felt like shriveled and almost cold and just so I was holding her and began feeding her and she just kept throwing up and throwing up and because she couldn't even eat and the nannies actually were laughing at me because they said I didn't know how to feed a malnourished child and I was like well that's really kind of sad you shouldn't know how to f- that's sad you shouldn't know how to have to feed a mal. now don't laugh at me that was heartbreaking so um, I began you know feeding this girl the nannies ended up taking over the girl had no smile um, nothing she was just so stoic um, and so I looked at Pierre and I was like we have we have to help this girl like she she's going to die she, we have to help her and Pierre's like okay if you say so and so I was like we need to, we'll figure something out and so we left her at the orphanage and now she is the huge light of that orphanage the way she runs hmm. the way she smiles the way she's sassy oh she's sassy um, and um, through some donations she has a leg now um, her fingers are, are you know she still has some fingers missing but to see her run up and down the halls to see her talking and getting an education um, and just see who she is now I mean her life I mean it's just unbelievable it's one of my favorite moments um on the porch just wow. this girl was not going to make it wow. and just to hold her that day to where she is today is it's it's amazing like i mean her i mean it's incredible yeah. i love that girl somebody listening to this podcast is uh has prayed recently and their prayer has been god when are you going to show up and as you were sharing that story i just this prompting just came to, to me For those of us asking God, when are you going to show up? Well, God shows up when we step outside the door. Mm. And uh, 
it may not necessarily be for us that God needs to show up. He wants to show up through us into somebody uh, who, who uh, has greater challenges in their life than we could ever dream of or imagine. Yeah, I've asked myself that those hard questions before too. As you were, I dug two boys out of a trash can one time, um, and that had nothing. Didn't have any shoes, had no food, and I found them in the in the trash near the orphanage and brought them in the orphanage. So we could give them some food, and I had we had to. God and I've had some tough conversations like that. Like God, where are you? Where where are you? And then He goes, Well, right here, and you're right here. Mm-hmm. So take care of it. Yeah, hands and feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Christy. Thank you. Thank it's you. It's an honor. <laughs> it's an honor. Thank yeah. you. It's very humbling. Thank you. This podcast should, could be longer, but we, want, we don't want to do that to other people. Yeah. We want them to get well, out with their... It's, it's quite possible that I, I come to see Stephanie and Denby from time to time. Okay. So it's quite possible that, that we'll do a round two. How about that? That would be awesome because I've got more stories. Okay. Uh, real quick, let me just see if I... Uh, nope. Make sure I didn't miss something. Well, thank you again for thank coming you. to the table. Thank you. It's an honor. Yeah, thank every, you. Every Monday morning when we send the word out that uh, the podcast is open, it, we, we launch every 7 a.m. A new episode is released 7 a.m. every Monday. The word goes out, and it's a table of re- no, party of redemption. Your table is now available. Would you sign us off? Party of redemption. Your table is now available. Party of Redemption, the table is now ready. All right. Thank you, Christy. Thank you.